Well, special guest for a special update today here on The Bottom Line, Julie Blake, Senior Counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom, is with me. And we're going to take a look at the fact that this action that Alliance Defending Freedom has initiated with regard to going after the FDA for their so-called chemical abortion drugs that apparently haven't been approved by the FDA is now picking up steam. Julie Blake, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much for having me. This is, I mean, it's exciting in a sense. It's also heartbreaking to find out that so many people have been told, well, if you take a, you know, a pill or the two pill combination for a so-called a chemical or medical abortion, it's perfectly safe and there's nothing to worry about. Your team has uncovered the fact that there, that that's nothing could be further from the truth. And now more and more states are stepping up and uh, getting involved in this. Talk about uh, Alliance Defending Freedom suit against the FDA uh, regarding this uh discovery that so many of these medications that we were told were safe, apparently, uh, really weren't approved for this purpose in the first place. Well, the FDA has a responsibility to protect the health, the safety, and welfare of all Americans. But when it comes to chemical abortion drugs, the FDA has failed America's women and girls. It never had the authority or the studies to approve these drugs in the first place nor has it had the authority to remove safeguards on the or use, basic safeguards like an in-person exam to check how far along a woman is before taking mm-hmm. these drugs. We represent emergency room doctors, local OBs, and four medical associations who are standing up on behalf of their patients to the FDA. And we're asking the court to tell the FDA it's time to put politics aside, follow the science, and protect women and girls. You know, it's interesting when you mentioned that phrase, Julie, follow the science. We were told by so many different so-called scientists, well, I mean, they were our scientists, they just, you know, they had different opinions than we did, that so many of the things that we, uh, you know, were, that were up for debate, like during the pandemic, uh, well, that science was settled. Well, here, you're actually making the case at Alliance Defending Freedom that it's the FDA that hasn't been following the science when it comes to the, uh, these abortifacients. And I understand that it was kind of a technicality, right? I mean, these were medications that were approved for certain uses, and then they started using them for other uses. Is that uh, what is at the heart of this lawsuit here? Well, when it comes to chemical abortion drugs, the FDA never studied their safety in the first place mm. when it comes to the real world labeled conditions of use for the purpose of a chemical abortion. We're we're not talking about whether they can be used for other approved purposes like Cushing's disease or miscarriage management. Mm -hmm. The only drugs the FDA has approved for chemical abortions, they never studied them beforehand under the conditions when they would actually be used. And that breaks the law. The FDA is a clear job from Congress to make sure drugs are safe before they go into the market, not just cross your fingers and hope. Yeah, right. How long now? How long have they been doing this? Because I mean, I've heard it's been a couple of decades at least that these have been in play. I mean, I, I just I shudder to think at the millions of women who were basically lied to by the FDA. They were it was not safe at all. They hadn't been tested, and yet they were told, "Oh, it's safe. It's fine." I mean, you and I have both seen the rhetoric, you know, in the media. Oh, this is harmless. We don't have to have these safeguards, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, this has been going on for way too long. Right. This lack of fully informed consent for women and girls stems back to 2000 when President Clinton pushed Hmm. this drug approval through on his way out of office. Our doctors have been standing up to the FDA ever since then, going to the agency, asking them to change their mind, following the bureaucratic process that we're required to do to try and get the agency to change their mind and and that we have to do before we can go to court. Well, it is finally time that we have... uh, been able to get past the agency's stonewalling, get our right to go to court. And we're confident that any court to look at the law and to look at the science in front of the FDA will agree that the FDA never has been fulfilling its responsibility to protect women and girls. Julie Blake is with me today here on the bottom line, senior counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom. And you can check them out at adfmedia.org. They've got a, a variety of different updates on the cases that Alliance Defending Freedom is working on. Regarding the sanctity of human life issue, Julie, what, what, is the, what is the next step? I understand that many states are starting to step up. Their attorneys generals are, are jumping in. You mentioned the four different medical associations. Are, do you have any support on Capitol Hill for what you guys are doing as well? Yes, we're honored to have uh, members of Congress, state attorney generals coming and standing as friends with us in court as our doctors are asking the court to order FDA to 
withdraw these dangerous chemical abortion drugs from the market or at a minimum impose some basic safeguards on their use. Mm-hmm. What what is the prognosis here? Using kind of a medical analysis and an analogy here, Julie. If if we're looking ahead, the fact that there is a lot of support on uh, from Congress, which is good. We've got these state attorney generals who are getting behind this, which is great. You've got organizations like the American College of Pediatricians, you know, who are rallying around this as well. It seems like you've got a pretty full deck, you know, in terms of the the hand that you're playing. Using a card analogy, uh, what what's the prognosis here in terms of what you are hoping to accomplish? Is there any kind of timetable, maybe sometime this year? Will we see any kind of legal action moving forward in the courts? Well, we've asked the court to enter an order forcing the FDA to start protecting women and girls now while our case proceeds, rather than have to wait any longer with bureaucratic stonewalling or for um, to reach a final judgment. Uh, so we have asked the court to rule quickly because after all these years, it's far past time for the FDA to start fulfilling its responsibility to protect mm-hmm. Americans. Yeah, that's good. That's good advice from Julie uh, Blake, who's senior counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom. Joining me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about the legal action they're taking against the Food and Drug Administration for illegally approving chemical abortion drugs that were never tested for this purpose or basically any other purpose as well. Uh, one of the things that I've, I've heard recently, and it's a term that I wasn't familiar with, but I, it's coming up more and more, and that is the, the, the term self-managing. Um, I, please tell me I'm wrong, but does this <laughs> this does sound like what the abortion industry is now saying is, hey, you know what? We want the medical abortion pills to go to your basic pharmacy, and if a woman thinks that she needs to have this type of stuff and she can manage her own care, all she has to do is find a prescription for someone who will write it, go get these pills and take them. Is that is it really has it really dumbed down that much? Well, the FDA has weakened the safeguards on this use and has removed requirements that used to be in place to protect women's safety. Um, These requirements include an in-person examination uh, where you had to be there with a provider to make sure that, um, you know, you were not further along, that you were Mm -hmm. able to take these drugs without um, having a contraindication. Um, But instead, what the FDA has done is been putting politics first. Rather than require women to go in person to an abortionist at a clinic, the FDA has been trying to facilitate a mail-order abortion economy, remote uh, provision, so that a woman need not ever have an in-person exam and be checked out mm-hmm. before getting an abortion. In some cases, they're just you know, filling out uh, something short, quick, and online just to get these drugs. All of this comes from the fact that the FDA is never putting common sense safeguards in place and is in fact rolling back as many of them as it can. Mm. It's amazing to think that uh, the, those who want strict restrictions on pregnancy health centers and things of that nature because they, they don't like what they're doing would be traveling literally so fast and loose, uh, Julie Blake, with the the laws and the health of millions of American women's have been doing so for women, they've been doing so for the past couple of decades. And Alliance Defending Freedom is standing in the gap. Julie Blake, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, Senior Counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, we've got a banner up at uh, CrawfordMediaGroup.net for you to support Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, the financial resources, of course, are extremely helpful. And Julie, I was reading a piece uh, not too long ago with regard to the way uh, Alliance Defending Freedom handles the finances as far as this goes. And the fact that basically every dollar that's donated winds up yielding like three or four dollars worth of extra value because of the way the attorneys process and bill or don't bill and that type of stuff. Could you take the final moment of our time together here and help us explain why a tax deductible donation supporting Alliance Defending Freedom today uh, is so crucial, not only for the cases, but because it goes so much further? Right. Well, uh, we at Alliance Defending Freedom can only do what we do because of the sacrificial generosity of all of our ministry friends. Uh, We don't charge our clients a dime for representing them in court as we stand up on their behalf uh, to protect women and girls, defend life, protect religious freedom, free speech, parental rights, and so much more. And we take the word Alliance in our name very seriously. We are allied with attorneys across the country, many of whom also Mm. contribute pro bono just to help us force multiply. Mm-hmm. Well, your gift is, is desperately needed and greatly appreciated, especially now if, when you look at the case of uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom uh, and the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine versus the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the official title of this legal challenge. 
But Julie, this is a great work that you're doing and uh, talk about going right for the eye of the hurricane. Uh, once again, there's Alliance Defending Freedom prepared to, with receipts, as the kids would say, to bring this all the way to trial if necessary and all the way to the highest court in the land uh, to fight for the sanctity of human life. Julie Blake, Senior Counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom, thank you so much for joining us today for this update here on The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much for having me. Always great to get that uh, update regarding the powerful testimony of what is happening with the Alliance Defending Freedom going after the Food and Drug Administration for these illegal drugs. And you can keep up with what's happening with the Alliance Defending Freedom at adfmedia.org. Now, on the other side of this break, we're going to get into something fun. Today is March the 2nd, and it was 19 years ago that I had a life-changing experience. I got to meet John Wooden the Wizard of Westwood. He was scheduled to do an interview with my mentor, Jim Burns, for the Homeward Ministry, and Jim was out of town. And back in 2004, we didn't have quite the portable recording access that we have today. So I did the recording at the studio at Ambassador Advertising here in Southern California with Coach Wooden on the phone. And then we edited Jim back in later for Homeward, but I kept the interview. <laughs> and every year on March the 2nd, I like to share it with you. So on the other side of this break, Tamara's got it all queued up. We're going to get into part one of my three-part conversation with the legendary John Wooden. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. What do you mean by the fact that I have a 401k time bomb? Eventually, this thing is going to implode and you're going to have to pay the government. And so one guy was totally shocked when I told him, that look, if you leave this right now, your IRA, to your three sons, each one of them will have to declare it and pay taxes on it immediately over the next 10 years. He says, well, they don't need the money. I said, well, the government doesn't care if they need the money. They're going to pay taxes on it. And that's what I mean by the fact that you're going to pay taxes. I had a guy say, did dad really leave me this? I said, yeah, he did. He didn't even know that they changed the law. Most people don't know that they've changed the law. And so it is a horrible situation, especially when there's ways you can mitigate it and not have it be so bad for the family, and have it be better off for you. That's what I mean. We try to take the tick out of the ticking time bomb. Your 401k is a ticking tax time bomb. Leave a legacy for your heirs, not a tax bill. Call Dennis Wilson and his team today, 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. I came across an interview that I was privileged to record when I was working uh, full-time with Jim Burns' ministry, Homeward, uh, back many years ago. Jim was in Hawaii at a youth conference, and he had uh, the opportunity to do an interview with John Wooden, the legendary basketball coach of UCLA, a man who was a great educator, a great Christian man, and uh, also they called him the Wizard of Westwood because he did so well. Well, Jim was in Hawaii, couldn't make the uh, recording, and so he asked me if I would record on a split track, do the interview, ask the questions. And then when Jim came back from Hawaii, he would go back in the studio and edit in his asking of my questions. And so I said, sure, why not? So I prepped and I prayed. And, and on March the 2nd, 2004, I had the opportunity, and I may have even been a Friday, had the opportunity to do an interview with John Wooden. Well, today, and I know, I believe we've shared this interview on this program once before, because not only was such a great man, but it was such a, a huge honor for me to talk to Coach John Wooden. And so Tamara has put this together for us. And so without further ado, I want you to hear this conversation I had with John Wooden. We're sharing it with you right now here on The Bottom Line. I remember the day in the spring of 1975 when I was working in my grandmother's yard and I heard that UCLA was going to the finals once again in the NCAA tournament. And, and at the same time, Coach Wooden announced that he was going to retire after the game regardless of the outcome. And I was deeply saddened. Even though I was a diehard USC fan, I was still deeply saddened to hear you leaving Westwood. After you won uh, that 10th national championship, uh, was it difficult for you to step out of the spotlight of coaching? No, for some reason uh, or other, uh, it seemed to be the right time, and it turned out to be that. I, I had no idea of doing that. Uh, uh, just, I would say, within a couple of minutes' time, I decided to do it. I had thought I'd teach for at least two more years, and maybe three, but not over two. And it hasn't. It it wasn't difficult. It since I I believe it was the time. We just heard you make reference to teaching. My first thought was I didn't realize you had a classroom as well. But then, as a coach, you consider yourself more as a teacher than as a coach. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I I I've often felt that I'm just a teacher coach as far as athletics is concerned. I taught English in the classroom for many years, and uh, it's no different than teaching uh, uh, sports, uh, uh, except in sports you have them. Um, 
in a little different way. And in the classroom, it's primarily, uh, you know, uh, uh, with the books and 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 the uh, oh, I'd say emotion. And in the cla- in uh, in sports, you've got um, the emotion and the mental idea too, and and the uh, um, uh, physical. So it's a little different, but in a sense, it's all the same. My 13-year-old daughter played in a National Junior Basketball League about three years ago, and one of her prized possessions was the coach's gift that he gave to each of the girls at the end of the season, and that was a copy of the Pyramid of Success. Uh, what was your inspiration for developing this pyramid? Was this a, a desire of yours to kind of quantify what you already knew, just so it was easier to teach your, your students, your players? No, actually... Um... I uh, started to help myself become a better teacher and also to give those under my supervision something to which to aspire other than just a higher mark in the classroom or, or more points in some athletic endeavor. I, I felt that as an English teacher, after I'd been out of college and teaching for two or two years, I felt too much emphasis by, was placed by parents on whether they would make an A or a B. And uh, not everybody could make an A or a B. And I, I felt there was those who were very successful that didn't. So I wanted to come up with something of my own. And first I uh, coined my own definition through some things that my father had tried to get uh, me and my brothers to realize that you should never try to be better than somebody else. Uh, you should always learn from others, and you should never cease trying to be the best you could be. And you're the only one that will ever know that because you can fool others. And... and um, so I wanted to try to come up with something that would uh, help me become a better teacher, and uh, eventually it turned into the pyramid. Mm. Well, and based on the, those principles, you've continued to remain very, very active for nearly 30 years after stepping away from the, the teaching classroom of the basketball court, and now the literally the world is your classroom. Coach Wooden has a new book out called Coach Wooden One-on-One, Inspiring Conversations on Purpose, Passion, and the Pursuit of Success. And, uh, Coach, I noticed that the book is dedicated. You mentioned your father, uh, who was a very avid reader and instilled that love of reading in each of his four sons. Uh, the book is dedicated to your father, uh, Joshua. Talk for just a moment about um, what the, the legacy he left that he instilled in you that you've passed on to your children as well. Well, I think uh, I was raised uh, up until the sophomore in high school on a small farm, and Dad tried to teach me, my brothers, you should never try to be better than somebody else, as I mentioned. And um, he uh, gave us a lot of ideas uh, that uh, uh, I think helped us. Dad was a, um, he read to us every night. He read from the scriptures and he would read poetry to us every night, even though we had no electricity and coal oil lamp. And um, I think Dad was primarily the reason, along with Mother, too, of course, that all four sons uh, uh, got through college. There were no athletic scholarships, and, and mother and father didn't have any financial means to help. And yet all four sons that were able to work their way through and all majored or minored in English, and all four became uh, educators, all had advanced degrees in education. Was that, How important was that when you look now at what happens in the NCAA with the, so many uh, schools having a difficult time graduating some of their athletes, and, and yet uh, having known people who were at UCLA when you were coaching there, uh, contemporaries of mine who graduated, I know that uh, the, the education was very, very important to you. It still is now. What, what do you think about the current climate in uh, collegiate athletics with uh, so many guys opting out for professional? I'm a little worried. Uh, not so much their... Uh... They're leaving early, but just the fact that so many of them are not graduating, uh, uh, I, I'm a little worried. I'm, I'm afraid that to some extent uh, we're turning it into the athlete-student rather than the student-athlete. And I think we should keep in mind that schools are, first of all, for the education. It's not for the sports. That's an extracurricular activity. And for many, it is uh, paying their way, but it's also enabled them to get a good education. It's going to be very meaningful to them all their lives. But there are very few of the total number, there's a very few that are leaving early to go professionally, very, very few. I think in the vast majority of cases, it's a mistake. Uh, but I wouldn't say there's a mistake in every single case. But for the most part, they're losing some wonderful years of their life with others about their own age and with their own interests. They're thrown into uh, with a society or with older people whose interests and uh, 
uh, way of living is a little bit different, and I don't think they're ready for it. Speaking of uh, basketball and basketball pursuits, I was talking with Rich DeVos, the uh, owner of the Orlando Magic, a couple of years ago. He was talking about his business pursuits, and uh, he, he used the expression uh, that he didn't create Amway uh, as a way for making money for other people. He said, I, I just gave people a roadmap that they could follow, and uh, this is something you can get as much out of this as uh, as." as you can get out of it. Would you uh, liken your book, Coach Wooden, one-on-one, uh, to kind of a, a roadmap of sorts to help people live uh, more spiritually fulfilling lives? Well, I think it definitely can help. Uh, and unfortunately, I'm afraid that most of those that will read it and get something from it are also <laughs> leading a, a pretty good life. But I think it can help, and I, I hope it will uh, induce others to uh, uh, think a little more about their, uh, the life they live. I've always sensed that when it comes to athletics, especially team sports, the the reason that we enjoy sports like basketball, soccer, football, baseball, is it kind of helps us make some sort of sense out of the chaos that our lives can become, because there's a sense of uh, of, of fair play and sportsmanship and things like that. Uh, do you see any parallel, parallels between living a godly life and succeeding in a game like basketball? Well, I, I feel that sports, uh, any group activity of any sort... Uh, helps bring about one of the most important things that I think in life, and that's consideration for others. Because you have to be considered others um, when you're uh, uh, engaged in uh, various sports activities. And I look at for that, and I think it can serve a, a very good purpose in, uh, in uh, making all uh, individuals a little more considerate of their fellow man. If you could only take a few books, I know you're an avid reader, you must have a very vast library and have read many books in your years. If you could only take, say, three books with you, do the whole desert island thing, uh, which uh, three would you pick and why? <laughs> well, that'd be very difficult. There's so many that I like. But I would, uh, I would take uh, the Bible, and I'd take uh, one of my favorite books on Mother Teresa and one of my favorite books on Abraham Lincoln. Really? Now, wh- why Mother Teresa and Abraham Lincoln? I knew the Bible would be in there. but Well, certainly Mother Teresa made two statements. She made many, many, many statements. She made a couple that really made an impression on me. Forgiveness sets you free, and a life not lived for others is not a life. I'm not uh, sold on all the books that I've read on Mother Teresa, but there are certain ones that I am. And as far as Lincoln, much the same thing. Uh, Lincoln had a tremendous depth, and very few people ever uh, fought through adversity as much as Mr. Lincoln had uh, through the years, never giving up. And uh, uh, his true, true, was truly considered of others in spite of the fact that uh, he in the most difficult time of any president because he was fighting against ourselves in a sense, and we lost so many lives. And yet he, he, he kept faith with himself and feeling what that was necessary for the welfare of, of all in the long run. And he had uh, the ability. Uh, you read his uh, uh, the, the Immortal Gettysburg Address of some 60-somewhere, uh, 200, 206 somewhere. It just says so much. And in so few words, more than any volumes, and then his second inaugural address, a certain part, you know, with malice toward none, with charity for all, and so on, uh, just shows the type of person. He, he, was, he, he was thoughtful, very thoughtful of others. Coach, I'm thinking as you're talking about uh, the, the, the way Lincoln dealt with the, the civil unrest that was the Civil War during the, uh, the mid-19th century, uh, his readings must have inspired you and prepared you to deal with the civil unrest that you coached with. I mean, your years at UCLA were right after World War II. You, went, you coached all the way through the 1960s, especially in Los Angeles with the things that happened there and, of course, the, the peace demonstrations and whatnot. The UCLA teams were always integrated, and I don't think too many of us growing up thought of them as you know being having racial strife on the teams they were just they were teams and we are nearing the midpoint of my conversation with john wooden and i'm sharing it with you here on the bottom line life insurance will never replace the person you love but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible when your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much you need someone on your side stephanie cover of cover law used to work for the insurance companies She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. 
Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Law. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and today, March the 2nd, this is John Wooden Day here at the Bottom Line Show. You remember the legendary coach, the Wizard of Westwood, as he was known. Uh, John Wooden joined me for a special recording. I should say I was privileged to uh, record with Coach Wooden back on March the 2nd, 2004, and uh, was able to record it and keep it in the archives. And every year on March the 2nd, uh, next year will be the 20th anniversary. It was a real life-changing event. Of course, Coach Wooden lived until June the 4th, 2010, and uh, referred him to himself as a teacher and one of the best basketball men uh, ever, one of the best human beings ever. His uh, pyramid for success, just legendary. And of course, it's all nestled in a, rooted in his faith in Jesus Christ. The book that we were talking about <clears throat> that day was Coach Wooden One-on-One, which I believe is still in print. It was actually written by Jay Carty uh, along with Coach Wooden. Uh, we have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We may have a copy of the book kicking around here. Uh, give us a call at 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. If for nothing else, I'll give you my copy of Wooden, A Lifetime of Observations and Reflections on and Off the Court. So remembering John Wood today, and this is from a diehard USC fan. My dad's an SC grad. My daughter Kaylee's an SC grad. I love the University of Southern California. But man, when you get a chance to go one-on-one with John Wooden on the phone, and he was bright, and he was articulate. I mean, at the time that we did the interview, what was he, 92 or something like that? It's just a great conversation. So we're giving away Coach Wooden books today, 800-227-5278. We'll take a quick break and come back with part two of my conversation with John Wooden. You're on John Wooden Day here on The Bottom Line Show. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to Preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. It was such a, a huge honor for me to talk to Coach John Wooden. And so so without further ado, I want you to hear this conversation I had with John Wooden. We're sharing it with you right now here on The Bottom Line. Here's part two. What was it like for you, especially in the 1960s, coaching teams that were integrated with the African-American players, white players, and the unrest that was happening in the U.S. at that time? Well, you know, they're, they're, everyone isn't going to get along all the time. But let, let's say that uh, you think nothing of it if, say, two African-Americans have a little a squabble between them or two whites have an, a little squabble. But if it happens to be uh, a black and white, then, that, well, that's just because of, 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 of the race. And it wouldn't necessarily be that at all. But uh, I, I'm very proud of the fact that uh, I, I've had a number of my players said I never saw color. And uh, I, I know for myself, I didn't care what uh, color or race or religion they had. I wanted to have something... Uh, I wanted them to have something which they believed, and I wanted them always, however, to be uh, open-minded and be considerate of others. And uh, I, I think I was very fortunate in uh, having youngsters uh, 
that felt along that line, and we wouldn't be critical of each other because we happen to differ. You have uh, stayed remarkably grounded in spite of the fame and the notoriety. I mean, you're, you're known internationally as the Wizard of Westwood and a legendary basketball coach as well as a basketball player. Your faith has played an integral part in keeping you grounded, but uh, talk just for a brief moment about your, your spiritual journey. Uh, when did you become a Christian, and how important has your faith been uh, through the, your coaching success? I cannot say when I became a Christian. I don't know. It's a gradual process. Uh, I was raised in a, in a home, a, a church-going home, and 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 uh, I was baptized in uh, 1927 uh, uh, because primarily my mother and father and, and my my the young lady who uh, I later married and the only girl I ever went with and uh, that's Nellie and she wanted to and we were baptized at the same time and. Uh, but I, I know I was doing it because she wanted me to and my parents wanted me to, and, and I didn't really, it wasn't really accepting Christ in the manner that it should. When did it happen and how did it happen? I can't tell you. It wasn't any sudden thing. It was just a gradual thing that eventually evolved uh, uh, through the years. And your faith sustains you today how? Are there, is there a, a particular pastor or a, a teacher who inspires you still? Are you good friends with Billy Graham? Well, I, I, he's, he's the living person today for whom I probably have the most respect and admiration. And my late wife and I, I know we did attend uh, the, his uh, uh, 25th anniversary with his dear wife, and, uh, and I, I have a picture of us attending with him at that particular time. I'm very, very proud of that because I, I think he's, he's one of the evangelists that's truly lived it the way it uh, uh, should be lived. And we're all imperfect, and there are others who have made some slip-ups, but we're all imperfect and understand that. But I just wonder if, if Billy Graham has made, ever made a, a, a slip-up. I, 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 I sort of doubt it, but he probably has because we're all imperfect. But what a wonderful example he has set. Amen. You know, there are many people who are, are considering uh, coaching, as a teaching profession, as a ministry field, if you will. Um, and I know that uh, they would look to your example and say, wow, John Wooden really left an imprint on the men and women that, uh, whose lives that he has touched, predominantly the men because of your coaching. Uh, do you have any advice for a coach who's maybe just coming right out of college and thinking about going into the coaching ranks, or I should say the teaching ranks, as you would say? I don't like to give advice, uh... But uh, my opinion is that you must really want to, and you must must um, have a feeling uh, of concern for others if you're going to do that. Not that you shouldn't have in other professions too, but you're going by dealing uh, with youngsters in a rather important uh, uh, area of their lives, rather impressionable. Not as impressionable in the early years, because I still think that parenting is the most important uh, uh, profession in the world. Then, then teachers come in there very strong too. And and those that are teaching sports, you're dealing with them not only physically, but you're dealing with them mentally and emotionally. Where in the classroom, we're dealing with them primarily mentally and emotionally. So you're different with them in a different way. And and uh, I think it is so important uh, that you set a good example uh, uh, for them. I think anyone in the public eye, whatever they be in sports or whatever, have an obligation, whether they think so or not, to to conduct themselves in, in such a way uh, uh, that would be proper examples for uh, uh, younger people. I know in my early years of teaching, I ran, a, uh, ran something uh, in the middle 1930s that uh, that made an impression on me, and I've always remembered it, it was uh, no written word, no spoken plea can teach our youth what they should be, nor all the books on all the shelves, it's what the teachers are themselves. And that made a made an impression on me, and I, I I've never forgotten it. You had ten national championships at UCLA, and many of our listeners will not remember the fact that it took about what sixteen seasons before UCLA actually won a national championship. Yes, and and, and don't say I had them. <laughs> I helped my players had them, but primarily I don't think I won any. My players won with my help. I hope. Uh, Yes, I'd, I'd gone 15 seasons without winning a national championship. We'd won, won many uh, conference championships, but we hadn't fared well in the national tournament. Uh, and I'm often asked, you know, how how come, Coach, it took you so long to win the first national championship? And 
my answer is, that, well, I'm a slow learner, but you might note that when I learn something, I have it down pretty good. Yeah, I was going to say, because then once you did win, what, 10 of the next 12 national championships went to uh, to Westwood. Uh, of those 10 teams, d- most of us listening have a, a favorite story or a recollection. Was there one team in particular that uh, really touched your heart and stays with you as like one of your favorite teams? All of them. All of them had something special, as did many of my teams that didn't win national championships. I, I, I'm probably as close to a number of those that I am to any of them, my players of any of the national championships. My first team at UCLA, we did not win a national championship. We won our conference when we were picked to finish last, and here I am at a new place and and unsettled, coming from a small area, small community, from farm more or less, into this huge city, and it was difficult. And when we were picked to finish last, just unanimously, everybody, and win the conference, I don't think any team that won a national championship gave me any greater pleasure than that. And mm-hmm. I'm very close to all the players who, who played on that team, my 1948-49 team. And you still keep in touch with many of your players. Yes, I do. I'm very, uh, very, very blessed in being able to do that. The vast majority of my players, you know, uh, stayed in Southern California. Uh, California has some sort of appeal, I believe. <laughs> I don't know whether it's the weather, just while there's so many things in California, of course, and uh, so many areas that the youngsters can get into. And the vast majority of them have stayed here, and um, many that have gone some distance away. Uh, I, I'm still in contact with many of them, a couple in Germany that I hear from regularly. And Bill Walton calls me regularly four or five times a week and has for many years. Uh-huh, and, and, and will continue. But, boy, he's your biggest fan in the, in the press and uh, and on television, too. Well, you were almost the maestro of Minneapolis. Can you share that story with us? Yes, I almost came to, uh, uh, went to Minneapolis, to the University of Minnesota. I, uh, I, I wanted to stay back. In the, I was a Midwestern. I wanted to stay in the Big Ten. I, I was a Big Ten person. And um, I was uh, had the chance of both UCLA and uh, and the University of Minnesota, but there was something that Minnesota had to work out, and they would call me a certain time. And uh, UCLA was calling me an hour after they wanted a definite decision. Minnesota didn't call, and uh, UCLA did, and I accepted. And then about an hour later, Minnesota called and said everything is all set. And I said, well, I I I can't. I just gave my word. It's going to be released and in California, and I can't go back on my word. And, and that, but that's how it was, they said that there had been an unseasonable snowstorm, okay. and the, the lines were down, and they weren't able to get to a line to uh, to call me, and that was the reason. So, well, sometimes fate does enter into things. Sure, and in, even in 1948, when the opportunity presented itself, your yes was yes, and uh, you headed west. And that's it's extremely admirable in a in a biblical sense, and also it certainly didn't hurt you uh, professionally. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a special edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and today on the broadcast, we're revisiting an interview that I was privileged to record with legendary UCLA basketball coach John Wooden. We recorded this conversation. We'll hear the conclusion in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. He's John Wooden. I mean, he was at UCLA. He built this program, and then the program took off, and uh, he's really had a charmed life. Beautiful wife, loving relationship there. Uh, Was there ever a point in your life where you question maybe your abilities, uh, kind of second-guessed, boy, maybe five years into the UCLA job saying, man, why I should have gone back and maybe reconsidered the Minnesota offer because we haven't, we're not winning the way I'd hoped we would or the guys aren't learning the way I'd hoped they would. Were, were there any periods like that in your life? I, I, I don't believe that there, there, there have been, I, but I had tremendous support always from my wife, uh, who was my, uh, you know, high school sweetheart and only girl ever went with. I had great support uh, from her all the time, and I never looked back. I, I've tried, and I think I got that from my father. When you make a decision, don't make it in haste. When you make a decision, never look back. That's the thing you thought was to do it the right. It may not have worked out the way you had wanted it to, but that was the right decision because you thought it carefully at that particular time. And, and I think that, I, I, I believe I had that ability uh, uh, most of the time, uh, not to look back and say, what if, no. You used to carry a program kind of rolled up on the side. Was that to keep the players in line? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had notes in that. A lot of people uh. didn't realize it. They, I, I would occasionally open it up and look at a note that I had to remind myself. It's just a reminder to me. Many people thought it was superstition, but uh-huh. 
that really had nothing to do with it. And some people say, have you used that as a magnaphone to yell to officials? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I, I really had no sound, and that was the reason I like to have attending. I'll put you on the spot now, because you mentioned that whole issue, and we think of coaches with uh, uh, loud tempers. Bobby Knight comes to mind, another, and you were rather uh, mild-mannered, at least your appearance. I'm sure that sometimes the players got an earful during a timeout if things weren't being executed just so. Um, were you ever ejected from a game? No, I was never, never in tech. I gave me 40 years of teaching. I, I had two technicals, and I can honestly say one of those I didn't deserve. They okay. thought something was said that was me, and it wasn't at all. But I can probably honestly say there were times <laughs> maybe I should have been. When I questioned the integrity, I, if I were an official, and I, I did question on occasion by saying such things as call them the same at both ends. Well, what I'm inferring is they're not. Or, or uh, I might some. I might call a player uh, uh, an official a homer, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm inferring that 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 he's favoring the home team, and uh, I, I wouldn't like that if if I were an official. Oh, no, I wouldn't like that at all, and I, I'm I'm very guilty of that. And it's all in the spirit of the game. In the book, Coach Wooden, one-on-one, you write about the importance of always doing your best and never stopping the learning process. Uh, so I wonder, Coach, uh, what in the learning process for you, what did you learn from writing the book, uh, Coach Wooden, one-on-one? Well, it's just a reflection of many things, and, you, and you're always learning, and there'll be little ideas that come to you, maybe uh, that you had forgotten, or something that you can associate with something you have done in the past that you didn't think of before. And... Uh, it's it's just that all we all when you're through learning you're you're through like people ask me about teaching I, I hope my last year I was a little better than I was the year before but I hope the year before I was better than I was the year before that and when I look back and say uh, well my last year how much better was that than my first year gracious sakes I must not have been able to get anything to than my first year but I think. Uh, there is a, a definite learning process, but I think you learn more in your earlier years because there's more to learn. But as time goes by, there shouldn't be a year that you're not learning something. Amen. I want to conclude our time together, and you've been so gracious with sharing with us today. Thank you so much for that, Coach. One final question about a story that I read. Yeah, I believe it was in the Los Angeles Times. It was about a former player of yours who uh, had played for the squad, had thought he had deserved a better position, I think wound up on the junior varsity and really harbored some animosity. He's gone on to success and in recent years was able to reconnect with you and, uh, and, and kind of reestablish a relationship that, uh, that was probably always available to him. He just didn't see it that way when he was younger and maybe a little more headstrong. Do you recall the, the story? I don't, I'm not recalling his name, but do you recall the player? He played on three national championships team, championship teams, but he, he didn't get to play a lot. That is true. But he's very important. Because I failed to get this cross to some. Every youngster I have out there has a role. His role may be in just developing those that are playing ahead of him and to be ready in case they, they are needed. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I know he thought he was better than uh, the guards that I had playing ahead of him, and, but it wasn't because they didn't like him, and he thought perhaps it was because they didn't like him. But when he did call me, uh, and he had very success in producing such things as Touched by an Angel and Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, Walker, Texas Ranger, and, and several others, and and he, he got the feeling that maybe this is what uh, the things he had learned under me and how to uh, treat and work with those under the supervision was what made him be successful. And he, he called me and uh, talked about this book that he wanted to write called Be Quick But Don't Hurry because that's a, a term that I use just daily in practice. Uh, I think if you hurry, you're, you're more inclined to make mistakes, but if you're not quick, you won't get things done. And Andy and I are very close now and uh, see each other regularly and and we're very close and uh, when we connected, I think it's just wonderful. It's awesome. And you were, and quickness is your trademark, wasn't it? As a player, yes, and as uh, as, as a teacher too. I I wanted uh, my part of my philosophy. I had hoped to have three of the five players on the floor to be quicker than three of the five of the others. Yeah. You'd you'd like to have all five of them quicker, of course, right. but that's just asking a little too much. But I I, I was always hoping that that uh, we'd have three of the five that would be. Uh, uh, quicker than our opponents. I didn't expect my guards to be quick, uh, my 
sinners to be quicker than my guards or my forwards. I didn't expect my forwards to be quicker than my guards, but I hope my forwards be quicker than other forwards, centers quicker than other centers, my guards quicker than other guards, as much as possible. Right. Coach Wooden, one-on-one, Inspiring Conversations on Purpose, Passion, and the Pursuit of Success. It's a devotional book from Regal Books. And, Coach, does this book complete your legacy? Or I have another book out right now called Inch and Miles, A Journey to Success. It's on my pyramid for children. And a uh, wonderful illustrator on that, and it's doing well. And Wow. Well, God bless you, sir. We appreciate the uh, the spiritual legacy that you've left, and uh, not to mention, of course, the uh, the template for uh, athletic success as well. Coach John Wooden, uh, thank you so much. For- You're very welcome. And that concludes a conversation that I recorded nearly 20 years ago that I enjoy sharing with you here on the Bottom Line Show, and I hope you enjoyed hearing it as well. Uh, John Wooden, the legendary wizard of Westwood, uh, had, uh, had written a book called Wooden One-on-One, uh, which came out in 2003. And he, <clears throat> excuse me, and he was doing a round of interviews into his early 90s to promote that book. So the story goes, uh, we were contacted at the Homeward Ministry. What do you want to do a phone interview with John Wooden? And Jim Burns was speaking in Hawaii at the time. And uh, he called me back and he goes, well, I can't. I mean, you know, we were texting and things like that. But he said, I, I, it's just the, the schedule doesn't work with my schedule. I would love to do it. Hey, why don't you record with him? And then I can go back, give me enough space in between uh, to do edits, and we'll take his answers, and then you can just write out what you said. And it, it was rather laborious, but I did it. And we aired it on Homeward, and people really loved it. As I came over here to first KPRT and then KCBC and all the other stations that have picked up the Bottom Line show, I wanted to memorialize this. And I remember uh, flipping through it. I don't think we used it early on in our programming history but somewhere around 2016 2017 Tamara and I were talking and I said you know I have this interview with John Wooden and she goes oh you should totally air it I said yeah why don't we air it on March the 2nd March the 2nd 2004 was the day that we did the recording and so we did and here it is and so I'll tell you uh just a game changer for a young broadcaster and uh man you really had to be on your toes with Coach Wooden by the way We do have a copy of the book, Wooden, A Lifetime of Observations and Reflections on and Off the Court to give away today, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We're also trying to see if we can find a copy of Coach Wooden one-on-one. That book came out in 2003, so it's 20 years old. I don't know if they've done updated editions of this, and if so, if we have one. But I know we have at least John one John Wooden book to give away, and we're giving it away right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line show. On the other side of this break, I'm going to mention something else we're giving away. And I want to walk through probably Coach Wooden's best-known biblical wisdom to share. We'll take a look at the Pyramid of Success coming up next as the bottom line continues. I want to say my thanks again to John Wooden, but of course he went home to be with the Lord on June the 4th, 2010. Uh, But I do thank uh, the Lord for the opportunity that Coach Wooden and I had to spend together one uh, glorious March morning, March the 2nd, 2004. Coach Wooden on the phone at home, and somewhere I still have that number uh, kicking around. I promised myself I would keep it, but forget where I put it, you know, type of thing. And we had a great conversation about his book called Coach Wooden One-on-One. And it was just... it encouraging to have that uh, that time inspiring conversations uh, on purpose passion and the pursuit of success we have a link for that book up at the bottomlineshow.com we do have a copy at least one copy of the book wooden a lifetime of observations and reflections on and off the court they were giving away right now 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line uh, by the way i should also mention there's a concert coming up on uh, actually three different days. Friday, March 17th at Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena. Saturday, March 18th, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And Sunday, March 19th at Shadow Mountain Church in San Diego. And it's the Gaither Band, Bill Gaither and the Gaither. I don't know if they're just the Bill Gaither Band or the Gaither Vocal Band or whatever. But I have three pair of tickets that we're giving away to, the, to those shows. You can, one for each date, okay? 
would love to give them to you. 800-227-5278. We have one pair for the Friday the 17th show, Lake Avenue uh, Congregational in Pasadena. One pair for Saturday night, March 18th, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, Big Calvary. And Sunday, March 19th at David Jeremiah's Church in San Diego, Shadow Mountain. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And of course, those tickets are printed tickets we actually have them here at the studio Teresa's keeping them under lock and key and so um we encourage you to uh to check that out and uh see if you want, if you want to get those tickets uh, i mentioned earlier that uh john wooden is the author of course of, he considered himself a teacher first more than a coach and his pyramid of success was a real game changer i know for my daughter kaylee uh, when she was playing basketball when she was a little girl and i want to wrap up this hour before we get into national crawford roundtable on the other side of this break just taking a look at these and see how biblical they are but the way coach wooden presents them anyone can benefit first industriousness there is no substitute for work worthwhile results come from hard work and careful planning second friendship this is all the basis of the pyramid friendship it comes from mutual esteem, respect, and devotion. Like marriage, it must not be taken for granted. Definitely requires a joint effort. Third, loyalty. Loyalty to yourself and to all those depending on you. Keep your self-respect. Amen. In a world that is so consumed with self-esteem, self-respect is what makes the world really go around. Uh, fourth, cooperation. With all levels of your coworkers, be cooperative. Listen if you want to be heard. Be interested in finding the best way, not in having only your way. Next, enthusiasm. Enthusiasm brushes off on those who you come in contact with. You must truly enjoy what you're doing to make it meaningful. Okay, the next level is for ambition. Self-control. Practice self-discipline and keep your emotions under control. Good judgment and common sense are essential. Secondly, alertness. Be observing constantly. Stay open-minded. Be eager to learn and improve. Third, initiative. Can I get an amen for this one? Coach Wooden writes, cultivate the ability to make decisions and think on your own. Do not be afraid of failure, but learn from it. Fourth, intentness. Set realistic goals. Concentrate on their achievement by resisting all temptations and being determined and persistent. And then, condition. Mental, moral, physical. Make sure you get plenty of rest. Exercise. Your diet must be considered. Moderation must be practiced. And dissipation must be eliminated. Then skill. A knowledge of and the ability to properly and quickly execute the fundamentals. Be prepared and cover every little detail. And then something that's in short supply in today's world. Team spirit. A genuine consideration for others. An eagerness to sacrifice personal interests of glory for the welfare of all. And then poise, just being yourself. Be at ease in every situation. Never fight yourself, Coach Wooden says. Confidence, and confidence is so much more important than arrogance. Respect without fear. Confidence may come from being prepared and keeping all things in proper perspective. And finally, the 12th piece of the puzzle in Coach John Wooden and his pyramid of success is competitive greatness. Be at your best when your best is needed. Enjoy difficult challenges. Words of wisdom from legendary coach John Wooden, who left us in June 2010 to take his place with his beloved Nellie and their eternal home with the Lord. Uh, grateful that I had the time with him on the 2nd of March 2004 and every year. Uh, I think we missed last year because of some technical issue, but... Well, I'll tell you, it's great to revisit this conversation, and I hope you have been blessed and benefited from it as well. Uh, for our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. And Dr. Uh, excuse me, Rabbi Schneider is coming up next with Discovering the Jewish Jesus. For those who remain on the network, this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. The guys and I having a conversation about the issues that are important to you, made possible by Alliance Defending Freedom, Preborn, and Dennis Wilson. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. <laughs> 